Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all. Good to be together uh, here in the house of the Lord. I am thankful that you are here. Thankful that we are together in worship. Uh, I have uh, been looking forward uh, to this time. Some of you may be saying, Pastor, how could you possibly be looking forward to this time, particularly in the passage that we are in today? Uh, well, by God's grace, I hope that we are able to see that and share that together. Uh, if you've not been with us for some time or this is your first time with us, we are currently walking uh, through the book of Malachi. So I would encourage you to join me in Malachi chapter 2. This is where we find ourselves as we continue in our study of Malachi. Again, we have been walking through this book together, talking about God's covenant grace. And our goal today, as it's been in days past, is to see God's grace at work through the disputes that God now has with his own people. So this morning we're going to be uh, picking up uh, or picking back up, if you will, on the previous two weeks where we saw the people being called out first for their careless worship. And then last week we saw how it was the priest's turn to then be called out for their own careless worship and how they were leading the faithful in worship. And so this week God is now going to turn his attention to how his people have become a faithless people. So when we look at our text this morning, God is going to, to single out his own people and to call them out for their sins in di three different ways. And in each way, God is going to point out their sin. He will reveal how the people have now been faithless towards him as their God. Thus, what we're getting a glimpse of today is to the, it is to the issue as to why their worship had become so careless. And we're going to see that the reason why their worship was so careless is because they had become faithless. Now, before we dive into our text, I want to recognize that, again, we are going to hear more hard words today from God. These words will be very unpleasant upon initial reading. However, my hope and prayer is that we are able to view them less as a harsh word, but rather to see them from a loving God who, in the midst of his covenant grace, is ultimately performing surgery upon the hearts of his people in order to get them back on track or to get them righted or back on the path of righteousness. Now, before we jump into this text, I want us to, to realize, again, this is a painful word today, but like we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, Hebrews 12 teaches us, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, with that being said, let's jump into our text and see the good news that our faithful God has for a faithless people, the same people that God has called his own. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading with verse 10. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Again, Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, God says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. 
and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, if I could just to kind of set the scene of what's going on here at this point, God now turns his attention to the root problem with the people. He literally says to the people that they are Faithless. Now we know this is important because God actually uses that same word five times within our text this morning. So what we can know is that God is communicating that the people have been unfaithful. And we see that they've been unfaithful in a marital context, which we ultimately see in our passage, but more to the heart of the problem. He says that we have been faithful in our covenant obligations. So this morning, we're going to see God reveal how the people of God have been faithless in their relationships to one another, how they've been faithless to the Lord himself, and how they've been faithless towards their spouse. And as we end this morning, I hope that we are then able to identify our own areas of faithlessness, but then see how God alone has and always will be faithful to us. So this morning, let's answer the question, where have the people, according to God, been found faithless? Well, God gives three answers to that. In verse 10, he begins by saying that the people of God have been faithless to one another. Look with me again at verse 10. He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Notice how God opens by giving us his will for our relationships in general. You see, God's hope was to see believers be faithful to one another and to ultimately trust one another. Now, the reality is this whole passage is one question after another. However, if you notice, uh, it was not meant for the believers to sit down and, and ponder and reflect. Rather, in their responses to the first two questions, as believers, their response should have been an immediate, yes, Lord. Look with me again. God's first question, have we not all one father? Their response should have been, yes, Lord. Has not one God created us? Clearly, the people of God would have answered by saying, yes, Lord. And then God says, well, why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? 
You see, God in being the one father and the one God who created us was reminding the people of the covenant relationship that they had shared with God, dating us all the way back uh, to the times of Exodus chapter 4. So God in this moment is literally saying to his own people, since we are in covenant together, and since I am the father who created you, and since we are all now one family, why are you okay with failing one another? Why are you okay sinning against one another? You see, here God is teaching that when we sin against one another, whether in private or whether in public, we also now sin against God. In fact, Psalm 133 verse 1 tells us this, Behold, or better yet, hear this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. I want us to pay attention to how we as believers today have been called to to live in unity, and yet it's God in our text who is calling the people out for being faithless, or another rendition of the word faithless would be breaking faith, or another translation would be dealing treacherously with one another. You see, God tells the people that what they are doing in in dealing treacherously and, and breaking faith with one another is sin, and thus is not what we are called to do. And so since we have now broken trust with one another, God says that you have not only broken trust with one another generally in your relationships, but you've now broken covenant with one another, which now means that you have broken your relationship with God. Now think about this for a moment. When we begin to speak harshly of another, God says even when we think it within our minds and our hearts, when we seek to to divide without seeking unity, then we're not just simply breaking trust and covenant with that person. We're now breaking trust and covenant with the community that is the church, which means we're now breaking promise with God. In fact, if you want to see this played out in the New Testament, you need only to to look over at Acts chapter 9, when you see Saul persecuting Christians, and in the midst of persecuting Christians while traveling, Saul is questioned, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul responds by asking his own question, who are you, Lord? Pay attention to his question. And then the response he gets is this, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, According to God's word here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, when we attack another believer, then we're seeking to divide the church. When we seek to divide the church, then we have now broken covenant with God. And God teaches us that this also includes the thoughts that now run through our mind. Notice that God, through the text, was teaching through these questions that community is supposed to be ordered by faithful fulfillment of the promises, the contracts, the oaths, the commitments, and the covenants that we have now made with one another and made with God. And yet, sadly, this order in Malachi's day had given away to daily disorder in the lives of God's people. And so what God is doing in this first verse is he's warning the people against individualistic self-indulgence and pointing them, the people back to the strength, the beauty, the joy, and the peace that can be found in a community that is faithful to one another. Again, this text, we see that we are taught that we have one father. We are taught that the one father is the one creator. And yet when we break faith with one another, it profanes the covenant that we have made with the one Father, who is the one creator. 
Thus God calls the people to live with radical integrity and and true faithfulness in all of our dealings with one another, no matter the cost. So brothers and sisters, at this point, we have to ask ourselves, are we living in covenant faithfulness with the brothers and sisters in Christ around us? Have we, whether in person or in head and heart, now broken covenant by seeking to divide? You see, here's the reality that we need to accept as Christians today, whether it's us ourselves or those whom we know around us. God sees us. God hears us. God sees and hears the thoughts of our heart. So what does God hear when the heart speaks? Man, if this is you today, if speaking ill against another brother and sister is is something that you have done or, or maybe you have heard or partaken in, then let me encourage you with this word today and simply say to you, repent. Because in our sin of broken covenant and relationship, we have now also broken covenant with God. Thus, our faithlessness towards one another reveals that we too are now a faithless people against our great and holy God. And after revealing our faithfulness faithlessness towards one another, notice that God is now going to point us to the truth that not only have we been faithless towards one another, but we are also faithless to him. Which leads to our second point of where we can see our own faithlessness. Found in verse 11 and 12, God says that we have now been faithless to the Lord. Read with me again, verse 11. It says, Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now notice how in our text, God now turns his attention away from relationships in general to now the more specific issue of marrying unbelievers. And it's here that God reveals that the people have now been faithless towards him. In other words, they have now broken covenant in who they were now marrying, and thus they had profaned the rebuilt sanctuary, which is the uh, the symbol of the Lord's presence within their midst. In fact, in verse 11, the primary issue at play here was that the man of Judah was now marrying someone who did not love, trust, nor follow after God. The text tells us that she was a a daughter of a foreign God, and thus the men of God were now breaking covenant with God. Now, to give you some context of of what we're talking about this morning, in Malachi's day, the men would, uh, would marry women of other places in order to find some sort of financial gain, whether it be through land, through wealth, through cattle, or whatever it would do that would give the men of God wealth. And so something that many of the men who, oh, by the way, did not have this wealth, what they would do is they would find these other tribes around them, these other peoples around them, and they would marry foreign women, as opposed to the women who were a part of the covenant. And this is what they did. They would justify these marriages by breaking the covenant and saying that her faith in a false god will not affect my relationship, nor will it affect my worship to my God. And so what God reveals at this point in verses 11 and 12 is this is just simply not 
the case because in marrying someone who worships another deity, you are now saying to God that the emotional drive of human intimacy matters more than God's holiness and God's nearness. In fact, God calls this an abomination. In fact, in verse 12, he also says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now again, the men of God were still offering and still bringing offerings to the Lord, and yet they had no idea as to why God was no longer accepting their offering. And so here God explains it to them. Now again, do not hear this passage and and begin to misinterpret what it is that the Lord is teaching at this point. This passage is not saying that it's impossible for an unbelieving spouse to be converted. That's not what the Lord is saying. In fact, you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we clearly see and know that this is possible. It's also not saying that if you are married to an unbeliever, then you should now get out of that relationship. In fact, Paul says quite the opposite in writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He speaks against that according to the word of God and shares with the church in Corinth that our actions and our words and our service to our spouse should lead them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So in the text, here is what God is actually teaching the believers at this point. He is saying, listen, if you are single, And the choice is still yours on who to marry. Then settle in your mind right now to never marry someone that doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart and all their soul. Why would that be important? Because let's be honest for a second. Marriage is challenging. Married life can be challenging, not Every day is a wonderful day. And as believers, it will only become harder if we marry someone who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ or shares in the same relationship in Christ that we now have. However, I do want to recognize that in the room, there are exceptions to the rule here and praise the Lord for his grace. But at the same time, let's recognize that this is not always the norm. So Christians in the room, if you are married to someone who loves the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, then praise the Lord for that and and thank them later, okay? Do yourself a favor, earn some points with your spouse later and thank them for being faithful to God. Because again, what we have found in a faithful spouse, according to Proverbs 18, verse 22, what we have found is a good thing. In fact, as one scholar says that this way, he says a Christian cannot possibly connect on the deepest level of the soul with someone who doesn't share life in Christ. So married couples, praise the Lord for your spouse. At the same time, if you're single in the room, whether you're a teenager or a young person or, or whether you're a, an older single in the room, let me, let me say this to you now. Pray now for your spouse that they, would, that they would grow to love Jesus Christ with all their heart and soul. But at the same time, Pray for yourselves. Pray that you would also grow in your own faith so that you become the husband or the wife that your future spouse hopes you to be and is praying for you to be. Now again, in coming back to our text, in the broken covenant of marrying outside of the people of God, the men of Judah had now revealed their own brokenness. 
They had shown that their worship was careless because they cared more about prosperity and wealth and gain than they did worshiping a holy God. And thus they proved themselves to be a faithless people with complete disregard to the covenant that they had made before God. This now leads to the the third point of faithfulness that I believe is a little more direct than the first two that have been previously mentioned. And these are found in verses 13 through 16. And that is this, not only have we been faithless towards one another, generally speaking, we've now been faithless um, to the Lord himself. But now we see that we have been faithless to our spouse. Again, verse 13 through 16 says this, and this second thing you do, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers this garment or covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Notice how in this text, God finally turns his attention to the last instance of acting faithlessly amongst the people of God. And it's one simple word, and that is divorce. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this could be one interpretation of the text. However, based on a comparison with the Septuagint and also what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, there is another rendering of this verse. And it says this, the Lord, the God of Israel, says that he hates divorce. Now again, this, this rendering is not, a, is not saying that there's some sort of error here in the word of God, but rather what we do see in both renderings is God saying that Christians should never seek to nullify their union with a living and faithful spouse. Now again, I want us to pick up on the fact that I did just say living and faithful spouse because I understand that there are circumstances that we can talk about and and, and history that we can talk about and we can delve deep into the issue of marriage and divorce, but I want us to understand the context of what was going on here in Malachi. You see, these men were committing sin against living and faithful spouses. Go back and look again at verses 11 and 12 with me, and we see that these were married men that God was talking about, men who were simply dropping their faithful, living wives who loved the Lord. They were simply dropping them as if they were second-class citizens and servants in order to pursue marriages with non-Jewish women simply because those women offered more prominence and more wealth. You see, they had no other reason. They literally looked at God and said, yes, I made this covenant with this woman, a covenant I made before a holy God, but I'd rather have this woman because if I get this woman, I get more cows or goats or land or wealth, maybe a better last name. Have you seen some of our Jewish names in the Bible? 
There was a lot there, but none of these were reasons for what it was that they were doing. So you see, what's what's being emphasized here by God through Malachi is the sacredness of marriage. So why would marriage be so sacred for the people? But why would marriage be so sacred to God? Well, God answers that question. He gives gives two reasons. The first one being this, verse 13 and 14. He teaches us that marriage is a covenant made between a man and a woman before God. Notice verse 14. It says, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have now been faithless. In other words, notice how in verse 14, God stands as a witness to the covenant promise of marriage. That's why most, if not all, Christian marriages have a line, whether it's from the pastor or from the couple being married, it sounds something like this, that you are now entering into a covenant relationship before the eyes of God. Some of you have said vows that that sound something like this, as God, as my witness, this is my sacred vow. Or your your marriage may have ended with these words that we just read earlier, which says, what God has brought together, let no man separate. You see, literally in our text, when speaking of our marriage, God says that I have seen it. I confirm your marriage. I affirm this marriage. And it is now recorded in the records of heaven. Therefore, marriage is not something to be taken lightly. Marriage is not something to be taken flippantly. This is no joke because of the promise that has now been made before God. So if you're married in the room, I want to ask you this question. Remember remember the commitment that you made to your spouse before the Lord. Do yourself a favor and and think back on your vows for a moment. How are you doing at honoring your vows with your spouse? Let me ask you this question. Maybe maybe this is a a little hit home a little bit more. If God were to walk into your home today and he he did a follow-up counseling session with you, which, oh, by the way, I'm a huge believer that A, you should do premarital counseling, but B, make sure you do premarital counseling with a pastor who's also going to come back and do some post marriage counseling, okay? Please do that, all right? Too many people don't do that, and they think, oh, I'm married, end of story, now I can do whatever I want. I don't think so. That's not how this works. You can ask some of the, some of the older couples in the room who've been married for years and years and years, they'll tell you, oh, no, it's a constant work in progress. So find you a pastor who does that. I offer that, shameless plug. Corey does that as well, shameless plug for Corey. Find you a pastor who does that and keeps it biblical, Okay. But if God were to walk into your house and do a follow-up session, if he were to walk in and do a follow-up session on our marriages and then he were to check our marriages, and this is how he did it. He said, hey, listen, I want to check your marriage, but here's how I want to check it. We're going to walk through your vows again. Let's see how well you're doing at honoring these vows. The question I have for us today is this, as men and women, would we be found faithful to our spouse? Would we be found as as faithful men and women who have sought to honor our vows? You see, one one reason, again, for for marriage being so sacred is because marriage is the covenant made between man and woman before God. But there is another reason that God gives us of why marriage is so sacred, and that's this. Because God himself is in a covenant with his people. Again, I would encourage you to, to look at verse 16 again one more time. Notice how this phrase finishes Uh, with God speaking, and then it says this of God. It says, says the Lord, the God of Israel. 
Now, what's interesting is this is really the only time in this particular text and in this particular book that we find God referring to himself in this way. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't believe God made a mistake here. I don't believe that this was an accident. I think, I think that these words actually meant something because God is now telling us why he hates divorce, especially flippant divorce for the sake of seeking wealth somewhere else. I think God, in saying that he was the God of Israel, is saying to us that divorce itself is fundamentally a contradiction of his covenant with his own bride, which is the church, which is his people. If you don't believe me, go back and read Ephesians chapter 5 and and notice how Ephesians chapter 5 is chalked full of how wives are to act as the church and then husbands are to love and act and serve as Christ served the church. Let me unpack this a little further. I believe what God is teaching us in his own covenant is this. It's that God will never nullify his marriage to the elect. Jesus Christ will never forsake the bride, which is the church. God is covenant maker, and at the same time, God is covenant keeper. Thus, God and God alone is the one who sets the bar for marriage and then gives the example of a healthy and holy relationship that should exist between God and man, and therefore gives us the example of what our own marriages should look like. And so I want to ask you this question. Does our marriage reflect the commitment and the covenant and the grace that God in and through Christ has shown us? If God is the example, if God has set the example, then are we following his example in our own marriages? Man, as we can see from this text today, marriage and relationships are a very serious subject to God. And the reason is this, because our faith in him is actually based on the relationships that we share. Not only the relationship we share with him, but the relationships we share with one another. But yet, as we read, God says to the people that we are the ones who have been found faithless. Now, again, I want to say to you, I don't don't know where you are today. I don't assume anything about anyone in this room, okay? Some people want to think, oh, pastor, you must have heard my story, and that's why you're sharing this sermon. I don't do that. Like, that's not how this works. I'm just reading the text and, and, and hoping by God's grace we're interpreting this passage correctly. So I don't know where you're at today. Perhaps you're here and maybe you're single today. And maybe you're wondering if you're ever going to find someone. And in the midst of that waiting, you're feeling like your patience is running out. In the midst of that waiting, you're feeling the heartache of what may or may not ever happen. And so there's a brokenness that's now taking place in your life. Maybe you're here today and you are married. Maybe you've been married for for several months or a couple years, or maybe you've been married for years and years and years. Maybe you've got decades on people, but, but you find yourself that you're in a marriage relationship that for whatever reason today is now finding itself in shambles. Maybe you're here today and and perhaps you're thinking about other brothers and sisters in the Christ in room, and, and maybe you've, you've got some broken relationships that you're experiencing, some, some broken friendships, some, some division that has now been created for whatever reason. And you, you're grieving all this. You're, you're hurting because of these things. You're frustrated because of what's happened. Now you're thinking to yourself, man, 
all of a sudden, I've, I've, I've now broken so much of my life. Well, if I could, I want to offer you a word of hope. I want you to know this today. I want you to know that, that none of us are precisely where we should be. So I want you to know today that if that's you, what I just described as you, I want you to know something today. You're not alone. I also want you to know this, and this, is, this to me is more encouraging. I want you to know that God is still in the business of restoring relationships. So don't give up. Don't quit. God is still in the business of bringing relationships together by his covenant grace. Do not give up. Continue to pray. Continue to serve. Continue to love. In fact, if I could just give you an example, can I just, can I just talk to you for a moment about my week this week, okay? Uh, I want to I just share with you about what happened to me over the course of five days, if I could. First of all, earlier this week, as many of you all found out, we celebrated the homecoming of a man who loved his wife faithfully for 64 years. I was in the home when his wife looked upon him and said, I love you, and said, thank you. For 64 years. And we praised God because the only way that even happened is because of God's covenant grace. And then here's what happened. Five days later, Saturday, this was yesterday. I had the blessing of celebrating a new marriage of a couple who is just beginning their journey together. But they know the word of God. They know that the word needs to be central in their lives. And their prayer, as we prayed together before their marriage, their prayer was, was that their marriage would match the same union that Jesus Christ shared with the church. Again, that is God's covenant grace at work. I got to see that firsthand in five days. And I praise God for it. But again, this is my story that I got to witness. This may mean nothing to you. So if that was not enough, then let me give you a word directly from God. Since we're talking about Malachi and we're in the Old Testament and this is God speaking, let's go to an, another passage where God speaks and listen to God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7 says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord saying this about himself. He proclaimed, the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Church, this passage brings me to tears because this is the God that we serve. And you know what God is saying in this passage? Where No matter where you find yourself, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what the, the brokenness that's around you or your home right now. But I want you to hear this truth from Exodus 34. That even when we are a faithless people, we still serve and worship a faithful God. So in the midst of our faithlessness, we can look to Him. And we can still see that He is work at work in us. He is still at work on us. And he's doing this all by his covenant grace. To God be the glory for what he has done. To God be the glory for what he is doing. To God be the glory that he alone is faithful. Let's pray together.